Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. We are headed to Wisconsin to talk to James Bastian. James is the author of the book, Wisconsin Logging Camp 1921, and the sequel entitled Willis Pursuit, which is coming out in May or June. So, James, you are very welcome to the RV. Thank you very much, and uh, welcome back to Wisconsin. It's nice to see you again here. Yes, I couldn't be happier. And you know, James, you have a special place in our hearts. I know our listeners are thrilled to listen to you again. So now I have to ask, what do you cherish most about calling Wisconsin your home? Wisconsin has so many resources. I love the out of doors and Wisconsin is uh, uh, a state that has over 11,000 lakes. Now, the state of Minnesota claims they have 10, the land of 10,000 lakes, but if we actually count them up, Wisconsin has more lakes. So there, the, the lake, uh, the, the state is pockmarked with lakes, and the northern third of the state is heavily forested. Uh, you have the cosmopolitan areas of Milwaukee and Madison and Green Bay, but you can also get away from it all, which I prefer. And so the climate is challenging sometimes, but always interesting. And so I enjoy being outside even in the winter and I I cross country ski uh, and snowshoe, I ice fish. And so I enjoy the winter as well as walking in the woods in the, in the summertime. Well, I heard that Wisconsin is known for its beautiful parks and lakes, but I didn't know you had 11,000 lakes. We do. And uh, many are just pristine. And so I'd invite anyone to uh, that's traveling through the state to be sure to take a, take advantage of the, the parks that are on some of the of, of these lakes or campsites or uh, just hiking trails. Okay, so for our listeners, Wisconsin is a very good option for spending some days or maybe vacations. So James, after a successful career as a teacher and three decades in the business world, you made the transition to becoming a writer upon retirement. So can you share with us what inspired you to start writing? Reading. I did a lot of reading and and researching. And as I found topics that I found were fascinating to me, um, I thought there perhaps there are other people that would be interested as well. And so I, I tried my hand at writing. And the first book, Wisconsin Logging Camp 1921, was intended to be a historical account. But unfortunately, the event that I was going to be basing this historical account on turned out to be a fraud. 
And so I was left with a great deal of research and data that I still found very interesting. And I thought, you know, um, it, it might be of interest to other people as well. So I had much of it written. And so I proceeded to write the first book. And actually, the second book, Willa's Pursuit, is it's a loose sequel to the first. So it includes some of the same research that had been completed in the first book. Ah, okay. So Willa's Pursuit is a sequel. Yes, a very general sequel. The main yeah. character, Willa, is the daughter of the protagonist in the first book. And it, they both take place in Wisconsin. And so Will, who is the protagonist in the first book, shows up in this book as Willa's father, but obviously the generations have changed. And that's about it. There are there are some other carryovers, but they are standalone books. You could read the first one, second one, or in any order, there would be uh, there'd be no confusion. For our listeners who did not listen to your latest episode, do you mind, James, to share a little bit about both of your books, the first one and the second one, Willa, that's coming out? Uh, I'd be delighted. I like to write about history and ordinary people doing or having extraordinary experiences. And in the first book, I follow the two families immigrating from Europe to America, to northern Wisconsin, in fact, following World War I. And that gave me an opportunity to focus on a very historically rich time, and that's the 1920 era, where you have the end of World War I, the Russian Revolution, you have the largest immigration in history, women's suffrage, the Spanish flu was devastating at the time, prohibition. And so all of those macro events made for a very rich story to be told. And then you have these immigrant families coming to America. Now, I mentioned I, I like to write about real people and who have done extraordinary things. And this is the both of these books are fiction. But each one of the cases, experiences um, that are referenced in the book are actually from real people. These are from diaries and cases and stories and newspaper articles from real people. And the reason I didn't write a historical account is because individually there wasn't sufficient content to justify an entire book. But I, I took snippets and aggregated them into two families. I was able to share the experience of five or six different families and still be true to the facts that all of the cases and examples and experiences have been corroborated and reaching the same threshold that any historian would take in writing a nonfiction. You, you have eyewitness testimony or you have some statement, but you also require corroborating evidence. And I've, I require that in my own content, even though they're fiction. And in the second book, the same principles apply. I selected a very historically rich period. In this case, it was 1970. And in the United States in 1970, the Vietnam War and the Vietnam War protests, there were racial riots. The uh, Nixon issues with Watergate were coming to fruition. It's on the heels of the assassinations of Robert Kennedy, John Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. 
it takes place on the campus of Madison, Wisconsin, which happened to be a real hub of student protests. In fact, the chemistry building at, on the University of Wisconsin was blown up, killing uh, one unfortunate researcher who was working late at night. And so the protests weren't just marching. These were violent protests that were occurring on campus. So I thought, what a great place, what a great setting to have our book. So the main character, Willa, is, in fact, in graduate school in Madison in 1970. I coincidentally... Coincidentally, um, I was in Madison in 1971 going to summer school, taking two courses in Russian history. So I, I have some contemporary knowledge uh, of on-site, as well as I had family members who were at the university at that time as well. Where Willa's pursuit is unique among my historical uh, interests is that it deals with the paranormal experience. And what I found so interesting about the paranormal experience, I have some psychology background, no meaningful credentials, but a greater interest than credentials, was that there are so many experiences, it is very difficult to deny that there is something there. In fact, I've sort of taken the same position uh, that the Pentagon has taken regarding UFOs. That the Pentagon for decades has uh, dismissed UFO sightings as being weather balloons or experimental aircraft or swamp gas, or you're just a neurotic attention seeker. But they have finally acknowledged after sightings have been corroborated by additional evidence to finally admit, look, there's something there. We don't know what it is, but there's something there. And that same conclusion is what I've come to regarding paranormal. There are so many cases with corroborating evidence that there's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. And it really is interesting. And I thought I would take the real experiences of cases that have been corroborated and aggregate them in our character, Willa, and write a story. And I thought it would be interesting. It was fun to do. It was fun to research while I was doing it. I hope others appreciate it. Yeah, and actually I was reading your book, Blurb, and I see that the main character, Rila, undergoes a transformation and acquires the ability to speak French fluently. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. So, James, would you classify this um, as a paranormal occurrence or a psychological phenomenon? The former. There are a lot of terms regarding paranormal events and they're thrown around. They often have confusing or contradictory definitions. Clairvoyance and telepathy, ESP, um, reincarnation, and just a litany of terms. But if you take all of these paranormal experiences and distill them down, there are generally four distinct characteristics. One of them is retrocognition, and that is being able to 
remember something from the past that isn't yours, someone else's memory from the past. And then there's psychometry. And that is if you touch something, you suddenly have a revelation or you feel that you know something about that object or its history and you've never been exposed to it before. In fact, the phenomenon of deja vu would fall roughly into that category where you visit a place and you suddenly feel that you have some new knowledge. And I'll complete it with the other is xenoglossia. And that is the sudden onset of the ability to speak a foreign language. And it often will accompany retrocognition, where you remember something, and actually being able to speak that language. So of all of those terms and all of the types, if you distill them down and then add one more, and that is apparitions, and those would be ghosts, seeing, smelling, hearing, something that isn't there. I have been having deja vu nowadays, and I, I say, how come? It looks like it happened before. I have to tell you, I learned about this word, Tainoglacia, with you, James, one year ago. I saw that the phenomenon of Tainoglacia has been reported since ancient times. I read that Plato mentions in 400 BC and someone was speaking tongues as soon as in the Bible, Corinthians. So I, there are other famous Zynoglossia cases that you can share with us. There are. Um, a young woman very recently suddenly began, had acquired the ability to speak Swedish after a difficult birth in Texas, uh, a mother woke up from the anesthesia and was speaking a an, an old English dialect. An Ethiopian woman uh, suddenly had the ability to speak a, an obscure dialect from India. There are a number of cases, and I, I would suggest if any of your listeners are interested uh, in re reading more about this, there's a book written by an American psychiatrist named Ion Stevenson. And he was a 20th century American psychiatrist. And he wrote a book called 20 Possible Cases of Reincarnation. And the book was very badly received by his peers. But he does outline 20 cases of what he called possible reincarnation. But in a half a dozen of those cases, xenoglastia was one of the characteristics of those. So people were interested in reading about, here's a case collected by a psychiatrist. Now, 20th century, he was still familiar with the experimental process and what was scientific evidence. And he did his best. He knew the pushback was going to be profound, but he went ahead with it anyway because he felt there was value in his in his research. So out of those 20 plus cases, um, probably four or five I found particularly compelling. And I think in another four or five, there are cases of xenoclasia. Wow, interesting. And James, as a writer, what message or lesson do you hope readers will take away from these books? Well, in addition to learning some history, and this is history light because it's a part of the book. It's just the setting. But I am meticulous in ensuring that all of the events and the timeline and the names and dates and places are accurate. 
um, rather than changing history to fit my story, I make sure the story fits the history. So a person who doesn't really enjoy sitting down and reading history gets a history lesson by reading a, a story about an extraordinary experience from, from someone. The other thing would be the prevalence of these experiences. You were kind enough to mention that you have, you've had a deja vu experience. Frankly, everyone I've ever talked with about the subject has reported they've had a deja vu experience. And if you bell curve those experiences, you'll have most people fall somewhere in the middle where relatively benign experience. But I think I've been here before. I remember something. But if you go two standard deviations to the right, you have six or eight percent of the people who have had those experiences. They are profound experiences with significant information and that can be very disconcerting that there's no way that they could have gotten that information otherwise. And so the the prevalence of the number of people who res, who indicate that they have seen a ghost or that they've had a nightmare or a daydream or perception of someone else's thoughts going on social media and just looking for moms who have said my 4-year-old thinks he's his great great grandma uh, or he was uh, wounded at the battle of Auschwitz um there there are social media has many flaws but it also has some positive components of the opportunity to collect data and since most of these experiences are relatively benign they typically go unnoticed it's only the most profound that will, someone will seek professional help or it will be pr particularly newsworthy but the benign are the most common so we all have had something it's these extraordinary examples are the ones that i i like to write about i like to read about Yes, and the near-death experience, I believe it also qualifies as a paranormal phenomenon because individuals who undergo it are typically in a state of coma and yet are able to recount the tales of their surroundings. If you define paranormal as it's the word is, something out of the ordinary, um, that certainly falls out of the ordinary. Again, someone who um, is in the condition that you described, who uh, is by all intent and purposes non-functional, yet the sensory absorption of, of what's going on around them and their ability to then recall and respond um, is, is something I know very little about, but I appreciate your raising that because that is another example, because my point in, in writing, uh, including it in the book, is the prevalence of these paranormal experiences uh, and to take some of the mystique away. Because one of the things that you would ask moments, moments ago, Lucia, about what things I would like readers to to take away from the book. Regarding the, the paranormal, there are certain characteristics of all of these situations. There's usually a sudden onset, in your case, the demise or the near demise of an individual, but there's usually a sudden on case, uh, uh, onset. They usually involve some form of violence or a traumatic emotional experience. There is invariably pushback from people when they tell them they'll range from eyes rolling to being a demeaning skepticism 
And the individual will oftentimes be accompanied because of one, the traumatic experience, and second, the the doubt and pushback will develop anxiety and depression and sleeplessness, and those things begin to affect their normal life. Since these experiences are so prevalent, being able to tell a story of a young woman who went through this, we feel your pain kind of of, of a thing. And I, I also... Uh, uh, wanted to be sure that she was one in which she was able to corroborate because sometimes that brings closure. Yes. Many people, they don't tell what's going on because they are afraid about what other people can think about them. Maybe they'll think they're crazy or they will be sometimes misunderstood. James, where can we find you online? And when is Willa's Pursuit coming out? Okay. My website is www.wisconsinloggingcamp.com. And it's preceded by the typical HTTP colon double black backslash, and then www.wisconsinloggingcamp.com. And if any of your listeners, there's a place on my website to contact. And if anyone were to have heard a name or a reference and would like more information about it, I'd be delighted to share any research that I have. Um, At least I will be able to provide enough information that they will get off to a good Google search. The second part of your question was that Will is pursued. The publication date is April 15th, but we're uh, trying to determine when it will actually be available in bookstores. It will be sometime after that date by a few weeks. Uh, But your initial statement of the end of May or June is probably a good good guess. But it's coming. Yes, it's coming. And sounds (laughs) great. We are going to be able to learn a little bit of history and James, come back next time. When are you publishing your next book? <laughs> well, there's a third book. Uh, it uh, isn't finished. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I hope I hope it gets finished and I hope it's published. And I would be delighted to come back again. I've always enjoyed talking with you, Lucia. Likewise, James. And I am so happy also to be back to Wisconsin. Thank you very much for your presence. You're welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.